Hello and welcome to the Grace Place NYC. We are a church in the neighborhood of Hamilton Heights in Harlem. Our purpose is to live for Christ, love the lost, and transform our culture. Last Sunday afternoon, I was sitting at LaGuardia Airport waiting to board my flight. I had some meetings in Fort Worth uh, Monday and Tuesday. And uh, as, I was, as I was waiting there, I got a text from uh, one, of my, one of my friends that read, dude, Kobe just died in a helicopter crash. And so as soon as I got that text, it was like so out of the blue, I started scouring the internet and I couldn't find anything. And I was like, this guy, he fell for a hoax. You know, somebody just lied and said this and he fell for it. And so uh, after a while, I started seeing the reports that uh, Kobe Bryant had indeed crashed and had a helicopter accident in California. And so I was you know, sitting about to board a flight, I hear that this is actually true. I start getting anxiety. Like, should I get on this flight? I'm thinking about my family, my kids, but I ended up boarding the flight and obviously I landed safely in Texas. And as soon as I landed, uh, I, I found out that not only did Kobe die, but several other families, but his 13-year-old daughter passed away too. And that broke my heart and hit me so hard, especially as a father. I mean, I was devastated to hear that Kobe and his 13-year-old daughter passed away. It really hit me hard, and, and I, all week long I've been thinking about it. All week long I've been watching tribute videos and tearing up and all of those things and, and thinking about all the people that were impacted uh, by Kobe Bryant, all the people that started playing basketball because they started watching him. And, and uh, this whole situation made me think about how important relationships are and how unpredictable our lives are. No one knows when it's their time to go. You know, you just never know. And for Kobe, his net worth at the time of his death was over a half billion dollars. He had so much success on the court, and he was having so much success off the court. He won an Oscar last year for a documentary that he made, and he was doing so many incredible things off the court, and he was, by all accounts, a great dad. When his helicopter crashed, he was actually on the way with his daughter, Gianna, to a basketball game, which he coached their team, so he was in their lives. and He had all the fame in the world, yet in a moment, all of that is gone, vanished, done with. This is a reminder to all of us that none of us are immortal. None of us live forever. We all have an expiration date while here on earth. And for those of us who have a relationship with Jesus, we know where we're headed after death. But unfortunately for those that do not, the Bible says that there is an eternal separation from God in which they will experience once they enter into eternity. So let's focus on what matters. Let's stop wasting our time. Let's stop procrastinating. Let's stop putting our time and our energy and our effort into things that at the end of the day don't really matter. Let's stop holding grudges. Let's stop staying offended at people. Let's stop not talking to people because they made us mad, right? Hug someone you love today. Spend time with someone you care about this week without being distracted, uh, having your face inside your phone. 
Tell someone how much you love them this week. Don't just have it in your mind and in your heart, but actually say it. Look them face to face and say, man, I love you and I appreciate you and I value you because we just don't know how much time we have left. Amen? Let's look at Matthew chapter number 10, starting with verse number 1. And it'll be up on the screen for you to read along as well. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Jesus came to this earth to establish his kingdom. Kingdom of God is mentioned over 50 times in the gospel, and the term kingdom of heaven is used over 30 times by Jesus in the gospels. And most Western American Christians, we believe that Jesus came to this earth 2,000 years ago to die for our individual sins so that we can go to heaven and not hell, and that is it. Although Christ did die for our individual sins, He died for much more than that. He died to establish His kingdom here on earth. Jesus didn't die in order for us to escape the world until we die and then experience His kingdom rule once we get to heaven. Okay, His kingdom is for the here and now. His kingdom is established right now. Now, Jesus wanted his kingdom to be known by its values. And one of the values of the kingdom of God is that it is a relational kingdom, meaning it's made up, this kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is made up of relationships. First, our relationship with Jesus, then our relationship with one another, and that is what makes up this kingdom. When Jesus put on flesh and blood and lived as a human, what he did not do was to do everything on his own. What we see in this passage that I just read is that Jesus surrounded himself with people. To follow Jesus is to live in community. He didn't just call one disciple, he called 12 disciples. That is very purposeful. He surrounded himself with these 12 disciples. Apostles, And when I say disciples and apostles, these are interchangeable terms that the, the gospel writers use for the same group of people. He did life in community surrounded by people who he was teaching his kingdom values to. And three weeks ago, I shared with you the word God gave me for our church in 2020, and that word was surrounded. And during my message, I talked about even though we are surrounded by an evil enemy called Satan and his demons, we can take courage because as believers, as sons and daughters of the king, we are surrounded by his presence, his provision, and his protection. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. This word surrounded is more than just us being surrounded by God, though. This year, I want us to be very intentional about surrounding ourselves with kingdom people who share our same values. Amen? Uh, John chapter 3 and verse 22 says this, After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside 
where he spent some time with them and baptized. We might normally overlook a verse like this, but it is incredibly powerful. How did the disciples make such a huge impact in spreading the gospel of the kingdom throughout the known world after Jesus ascended from the earth into heaven? How did the disciples, how did these 12 uneducated people, how did they turn the world upside down as Acts 17.6 tells us in such a short period of time? How did they do this? And it's very simple. And this verse tells us exactly how. It says that Jesus spent some time with his disciples. Jesus spent some time with his disciples. The word for spend time in the Greek here is pronounced diatribo. And dia means against and tribo means to rub. Okay, so diatribo literally means to rub against or to rub off on. So what this verse is telling us is that Jesus rubbed off on his disciples while he was spending time with them. While he was in relationship with his disciples, his values, what he loved, what he valued, what he liked, what he stood for, rubbed off on these 12 men as he was spending time time with them. Simple, yet profound. Plain, yet powerful. Basic, yet very, very effective. This diatriboing was how the apostles changed and turned the world upside down so quickly after Jesus ascended to heaven. For those of you who know my son Boston, you know, if you've been around him for more than 10 seconds, you know that he loves sports. And he loves the Kansas City Chiefs. What's interesting is that my son was born in Fort Worth, Texas, and he grew up, or he lived in Arlington, Texas, until we, uh, until we moved to New York City. So why isn't he a Dallas Cowboys fan? Why doesn't he talk about the Dallas Cowboys? Why doesn't he wear Dallas Cowboys jersey? Well, guess who else is a Kansas City Chiefs fan? who was born and raised in Kansas City, Missouri. It's his dad. And because I've rubbed off on him, I've diatriboed with him for nine years of his life, he loves what I love. He values what I value. And so he roots for the teams that I root for, and he roots for the players that I root for. Okay, The way we're going to transform Hamilton Heights is by diatriboing each other, one another, and enlarging our circle and start to diatribo the lost. That's how Hamilton Heights is going to be transformed. We need to start rubbing off on one another as we are filled with the Spirit and filled with the Word. Amen? And so Jesus not only surrounded Himself with the twelve disciples, He also had an inner circle of three of those disciples, Peter, James, and John. And so we start to see the circle in which Jesus functioned while he was here on earth, right? So we have here, uh, we, we have Jesus here, we have the 12 disciples here, okay? But then he had a, an inner circle here of three disciples, Peter, James, and John. Everything Jesus did while he was here on earth It was all intentional. He understood that he only had 
33 years while he was here on earth. So he did not mess around. What he did, who he connected with, was very, very purposeful and intentional. And so not only did he have the 12 disciples, but he had Peter, James, and John that he really, that really became his inner circle. We see in Mark chapter 5 and 37 that when the daughter of the synagogue official had passed away, Jesus only allowed these three disciples to accompany him to the house to heal the girl. In Matthew 17, when Jesus was transfigured up on the mountain, only Peter, James, and John accompanied him there up on the mountain. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before Jesus would be betrayed and taken to the cross and handed over to the chief priests and elders, he took those three disciples with him further into the garden than all of the other disciples, and he started to open up with them and be transparent with them about what he was feeling. So where am I going with all of this? We need to be surrounding ourselves with like-minded people as we are surrounded by the presence of God, and we need to have a small group of people whom we are completely transparent and vulnerable with and who know our strengths and weaknesses intimately. We need to be surrounding ourselves with people where we can be real with them. We can admit our weaknesses we can admit our screw-ups, we can admit our faults, and they won't judge us. They're not going to look at us differently. They're going to encourage us, and they're going to help us, right? We need to be surrounding ourselves with people like this. It sounds spiritual when someone says, all I need is me and Jesus, but the problem with that statement is that it is not biblical. That's not biblical. The right statement is, all I need is Jesus and my brothers and sisters in the faith. Amen? Uh, God forms and shapes us primarily through our interactions with other people. As great as encountering Jesus at a, at a great Sunday service or a night of worship is, the primary way the Holy Spirit shapes and forms us is through our interactions with other people. Proverbs 27.17 tells us, Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And if you've ever had roommates in college, right, you understand that this is true, right? When you are a neat freak and your roommate is a complete pig, when, 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 you're, trying to, when you're trying not to have diseases and they leave the dishes in the sink or they leave the food out to wear mold and fungus and all this, if you've ever had a roommate, you understand iron sharpens iron. And as we diatribe one another, we sharpen one another. As some, we allow someone in our group where we don't really like their personality, what's happening as we're getting annoyed is where our character is being shaped. We're learning patience, right? Some people create more patience in us than others based on how frustrating they are, yes. Jesus never intended for us to be lone rangers. If he did, he would not have established the church. When it comes to Christ-centered relationships and surrounding ourselves with the right people, this is a two sides of the same coin issue. Okay, The first side of the coin is that we need to surround ourselves in Christian community with others. Now, why is this important for us to do? Because unity is crucial to furthering the gospel. 
Unity is crucial to furthering the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says this, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. The Corinthian church, whom Paul was writing to in this letter, was in utter turmoil and chaos. There was division and quarreling and fighting and offenses and all of these different things and splits happening among the church. And Paul here is pleading with the Corinthians to stop dividing and be joined together in the same mind. Perfectly joined together. That phrase that Paul used in the Greek is a medical term that refers to the setting of a bone that was broken or out of joint. Whenever believers cannot get along, the entire body of Christ suffers. Therefore, the gospel suffers. Disunity in the church is the image of one of your bones being broken in your body. How many of you in here have ever had a, a bone broken in your body? You understand that if you have a, a bone broken in your body, until you mend, until that broken bone is mended and fixed, your entire body is going to be affected, right? If you have a broken hand, your body will be affected until that broken hand gets healed. That's why you have to have a cast. That's why you have to have it set back in place. That's why you have to go to the doctor and do all of those things because it affects your entire body. It's the same thing for disunity and offenses and quarreling within the body of Christ. But when we are unified through Christ... God can use the body of Christ in wonderful ways to help those around us to flourish and to thrive. Amen? And that is the goal. So why do we need to surround ourselves in Christian community? In order to carry one another's burdens. In order to carry each other's burdens. Galatians chapter 6 verses 1 and 2 says this, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. We are told in this passage that in, if someone in our church is caught up in a sin, that we as the local church body should confront that person in gentleness... Not with the intention of, I told you so, right? But with the intention to restore that person back to a relationship with Jesus. And those two things, that is a huge distinction. One is done in a spirit of pride, while the other is done in an attitude of humility. One alienates, while another welcomes. That word restore that Paul uses is the same Greek word that he used in, in 1 Corinthians 1.10 that we just read, and it means, it also means, when we restore someone, to reset a bone that was broken or fragmented or out of joint. And so as the body of Christ, when someone in our family is caught up in a sin, it is our responsibility to go to that person to take that bone that was broken because of sin and to reset it in place and to help that person. And we're to do that with gentleness. We're not supposed to go up to that person and if uh, Abby's leg is broken, just yank it as hard as I can and say, I hope it got better. No, we're supposed to do it in gentleness. Amen? Amen. 
And when we do that, that bone will be, you know, sometimes when you reset a broken bone, it becomes, once it heals and mends, it becomes stronger than it originally was. So if someone is caught in a sin, are you caught in sin today? Like a fish that has been caught by a hook in the water and is flailing around because it can feel the pain and it can feel what's going to happen. It's flailing around, but it's caught in a hook and it just can't get away. Has sin, whatever that sin may be, hooked you to the point that you can't pull away from it. You desire to be free. You want to be free. You don't want to be hooked to this sin, but you just can't get free. The more you try and get out, the worse it seems to get. When a fish is hooked, I'm not a fisherman, I've gone fishing a couple times, but I've been told that when a fish is hooked and it starts flailing and wiggling and all of that, sometimes that hook gets caught even stronger. That's how some of you are functioning. It seems like the, the more you try to, to get away in your own strength and in your own power, the more you're getting stuck in the sin that you're just find yourself in right now. If this is you in our church, I promise you, you will be restored with gentleness. You will be restored with gentleness. Now, the restoration process doesn't feel good at the time, but the end result will be good. There will be some pain involved. Okay, There will be some repentance involved and turning away involved. There will be asking forgiveness to those you hurt involved. There will be some changes that need to be made, but the end result will be restoration. It's kind of like having braces. I, ha I got braces, I think I was 28 years old. I waited till I was an adult to fix my crooked teeth. I had a snaggle tooth up here. I had like a double-deckered going on down here. And I got braces and as, as an adult. And every time I would go to the orthodontist to, to tighten my braces for a day or two, I would feel soreness, right, because my, my teeth were shifting back into place where they were supposed to be. And so there was some pain involved, but the end result were my teeth got straight. See? So I don't have to be embarrassed when I smile for a picture anymore. Okay? But I had to go through the pain of the orthodontist tightening my teeth. Restoration, there's going to be some pain involved, but the end result is restoration. Uh, the word burdens in, in verse 2, where, where Paul said we need to carry each other's burdens that can be translated as oppression. Paul tells us that a believer who surrounds himself or herself in Christian community bears his brother's and sister's oppression. A burden might not necessarily be a sin. A burden is a weight that someone can't carry any more on their own. A burden is a weight that has become so heavy on a person that they can't move forward alone anymore. Therefore, they need assistance. One commentary said, to bear something means to carry something with endurance, which means Christian community is not convenient or comfortable all the time, but it is necessary. We are in it with each other for the long haul. We're not in it until uh, that person frustrates, it, frustrates us we're not in it until that person inconveniences us. We're not in it until it costs us something, then we're out. We're like, peace, deuces. No, we're in it for the long haul. In other words, we may be carrying someone else's weight for a while. 
We need to be willing to carry each other's burdens with endurance. The Bible scholar Craig Keener said this about this verse, The image of bearing another's burden or weight might remind readers of slaves or of impressment. Roman soldiers could require local people to carry something for them. If you remember when Jesus was carrying the cross, the Roman soldiers asked, or not asked, they demanded that Simon the Cyrene would carry Jesus' cross because he couldn't carry it any longer. And that's the word picture here. In either case, it is an image of subservience that demands more than convenience. One of the major mistakes we make when thinking about community is mistaking connectivity with community. Uh, They are not the same thing. In fact, they are polar opposites. Just because you are connected doesn't mean you are in community. We are more connected via social media, texting, and online platforms than uh, anybody has ever had been connected in the history of humanity, yet we lack true community. Studies show... Study after study after study show that the more connected you are online, the lonelier you tend to be. The more time you spend scrolling through other people's lives and seeing what other people are doing and scrolling through other people's highlight reel, the more lonely you feel on the inside. Community, therefore, is face-to-face interaction where we're bearing one another's burdens where we're being transparent, where we're being open with what we're struggling with, where we're, where we're sharing what the weight and the baggage that we're carrying with one another, where we're in a community of love. That's what true community is. True community isn't all of the friends you have on Facebook and all of the followers you have on Instagram and all of the other social media platforms and all of those things. That's not true community. True community is face-to-face Interaction. That's why we promote small groups. That's why we promote uh, going out to lunch after church with people. That's why we promote having coffee with people in our church outside of Sunday because you and I, we need to have face-to-face interaction with our brothers and sisters so we can sharpen one another. I can't carry my brother's burden if I don't know what my brother's burden is. And the only way we can get to know that is as we diatribo one another, as we rub off on one another. Amen? Amen. And when I read a verse like this, where, where Paul says, bear one another's burdens, I obviously am looking at this verse through my individualistic Western eyes. And when I look at a verse like this, I don't even think I fully grasp what Paul is meaning when he says we need to carry each other's burdens. Because in a country that demonizes people who can't provide for themselves and champions people that can, you know, just uh, uh, pull their sleeves up and just, and just do it on their own and we're, we champion self-made millionaires and, and we, 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 we look at people that have started with nothing and on their own, you know, just, just created something amazing with their lives in a country that demonizes people that can't provide for themselves and champions people that can by their own strength. This verse is very challenging. Even, you know, when I read it, I can't help but read it with, my, with, with the filter in which I grew up in. I think what this does mean, though, is carrying one another's financial burdens. I think this means being accessible even when it inconveniences us. 
I think this involves personal sacrifice in order to help our brothers and sisters. Here's the truth. Every single one of us are carrying burdens around. Some of us are carrying the burden of sin around everywhere we go. Some of us are carrying the burden of a health issue around. Some of us are carrying the burden of a fractured relationship around. Some of us are carrying around the psychological scars of past experiences around. We need each other, church. I need you. You need me. We need each other. There are some burdens and weights that God does not intend for us to carry alone. There are some prayers we're praying Okay, And God is like, I'm going to answer that prayer, but it's going to be through someone in your church community. Because that's why I died in order for the church to be established. Are we available to carry our brothers and sisters' burdens? Are we accessible? Are we even open to helping carry our brothers and sisters' burdens? Are we humble enough to ask for help when we have a burden that's too heavy for us to carry? And when we restore one another and carry one another's burdens, we are truly loving one another as Christ taught us. And we know that we are fully restored when someone can once again walk on their own. When we're not fully dependent on someone else to carry our load for us. That's when you know you've been fully restored. And and I think the moral of that story is we need to carry someone else's burden when they need it because there's going to be a time when we need our burdens carried. And we know that we're fully restored when we don't need to be fully dependent on someone else. Okay, That that scripture is not saying that we are dependent for the rest of our lives on someone else. That's not healthy, right? My, My kids, my son is nine and my daughter is six. When we first got to the city, Boston was four and Avia was two. And we live on a five-floor walk-up without an elevator. Uh, And so when we first moved here, we didn't ask them to carry anything up the stairs, right? But now they're going to help us, okay? My son's nine. He's going to help carry some of that load, right? the, The intention is not to ever be dependent on someone else all the time, but you know that you're restored when there's a season of your life that you can't continue walking alone with the burdens you're carrying. And yeah, you have Jesus with you, but Jesus intended for you to live in community, so you need that community of believers and people to help you. But there has to come a time where you say, I've gotten the help and I'm restored. Now I can keep going. Amen? So that's the first side of the coin, the relational coin that I was talking about. The second side of this relational coin for us is this. We need to surround ourselves in community with non-believers. We need to surround ourselves in community with non-believers. Jesus didn't only surround himself with people who believed in him. He didn't only surround himself with people that went to church, people that were in the religious environment, that went to synagogue, the the religious people that, that knew the Torah inside and out. He did not just spend time with those People. He also spent a lot of time with and had relationship with sketchy people and with not so good reputations, right? 
If you read through the Gospels, there's a lot of stories where he's with some sketchy people, where he's with some people with some bad reputation. He's with some, uh, see, he's with some outcasts and some misfits, and he's spending time, and he's having community with these people. Luke 15, 1 and 2 says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners. I don't have time to go into it, but tax collectors were very hated people. They were in cahoots with the Roman Empire. They were looked looked on as traitors within the Jewish community. So you did not want to be caught spending time with the tax collectors and sinners. That could include a lot of people. That could include adulterers. That could include prostitutes. That could include drug addicts. That could include all of these people who were outcasts. So now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Do you have unbelievers gathering around to hear what you have to say? But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Our heart and mind should always be thinking about how to love the lost around us. Why? Because that was on the mind of our Lord while He was here on earth. He said, I didn't come for those who think they are righteous. I came to call sinners to repentance. So we see here, Jesus doesn't just have the disciples in his circle, but he draws another circle and he welcomes unbelievers. He welcomes sinners. He welcomes tax collectors. We see see in other stories, he he welcomes uh, adulterers. He, He... He welcomes prostitutes to the point where these people who were outcasts in the Jewish community and in the community, they were considered unclean. Jesus surrounded himself with these people, even to the detriment of his reputation to the Pharisees and the religious leaders. He said, you know what? I didn't come for those that were righteous, but what he really, I mean, in the original language, what that really means, I didn't come for those that think they're righteous, right? Because none of us are really righteous. I came for those who would admit that they are sinners. He had a community, and he didn't just preach the gospel to them, okay? He didn't just have them at at, at services. No, he actually dined with them. He actually sat at the table with them. He actually had community with these people. Our hearts should break for the lost and broken who are outside the family of faith. There are people at the gym that you work out in that are in desperate need of the love of Jesus. There are people that you rub shoulders with at work every single day that are in desperate need of the love of Jesus. There are people in your apartment building that need Christ. You know, every time, uh, you know, my my. Two children, they they model. Uh, they uh, yeah, so they do different modeling stuff. And so every time they you know, I take them to a modeling job and have the opportunity to connect with parents of the other kids or or workers. I always try in conversations to bring up that I'm a pastor and that I planted a church in New York City. Why? Because inevitably, when I bring that up, they'll start to ask questions about what I'm doing. They'll start to ask questions about. Christianity, and sometimes they'll even open up about things and ask me to pray for them, right? And so that's why I do that. We don't always have to take everyone we we come in contact with through the Romans' road of salvation, right? There are creative and simple ways that we can bring things up 
that will open up conversations about spiritual things. And if I could have the worship team come up. And so I just, I want to really challenge us that we not only have community here, but we branch out and have community here. And maybe for some of us, you only have community with people out here, but you don't have community here. This is two sides of the same coin. We need to have community. We need to have relationships. We need to have connections with both sides because that's what our Lord did. That's what Jesus modeled, right? That's how Jesus, he, he, he not only shared his kingdom values here, but he was building relationships in order to share his kingdom values here. And we need to have both, church. Hamilton Heights, the neighborhood we live in, there are a lot of people who are broken. There are a lot of people who are struggling. There are a lot of people living life without Jesus. There are a lot of people whom we rub shoulders with. We are naturally diatriboing every single day at the post office, apartment, at the coffee shop, at the at the restaurants that we eat at in the neighborhood. Man, we need to be very intentional about building community with those people that are in desperate need of Jesus. Because they're all around us. They're all around us. And we might be the only people they interact with that have a relationship with Christ. So we need to be very intentional this year about surrounding ourselves in Christian community and surrounding ourselves with people that are not a part of our family of faith. Amen? This is very important. This is what our Lord modeled to us. And therefore, this is where we need to be stretched. And I hope that something I said made you feel uncomfortable today. Because I know preparing this message made me feel uncomfortable. I hope the part about bearing one another's burdens and us, we, we have, and we can't help it. We, we need to be so intentional about constantly taking off the filter of our, you know, we all, if we grew up in America, I'm not white, but I, you know, you grow up naturally thinking Jesus is white because of, the, because of where, where I grew up. We, we naturally think, we naturally th filter all of Scripture through our own experiences. But we need to be so intentional about looking at the Scripture and saying, if I take off this filter and try to put on the filter in which, in the culture, in the dynamic that it was written in, what, how could that challenge me? How can that stretch me? And I want you to be stretched Looking at Galatians 6, 1 and 2, where it says, carry and bear one another's burdens. I want us to be stretched, church. I don't want us, I don't want us just to be a church that meets on Sundays and goes through the motions and all of that, but we don't have true community. We're too busy. New Yorkers are too busy. We've got too many things. We're, <laughs> we've got too many things going on. We've got, we've got crazy stuff going on in the city. The other day, I get off the subway, me and my family, and I smell smoke, and all of a sudden I see like 20 firefighters rushing down the subway 
train and then I go out of the subway and there's like paint all over the, the Metro card reader things and it's just crazy and we find out there was a protest going on. It's cr- I mean, like fires in the subway set. We've got too much stuff going on not to be in authentic community with one another. We, we need each other, church. We need to carry one another's burdens. We need to be there for one another. We need to show Christ's love to one another as we're walking through this journey. Amen? That's the kind of church I want. I want us not only to believe that we're surrounded by the presence of God, but that we will surround ourselves with relationships where we're sharpening one another, where we're rubbing off on one another, where we're living in community with one another. Amen. Let's pray.